0: you ever heard of the Flying Walendas? If you haven't, um, there was a family that uh, were world famous and they walked the high wire, performers who walked the high wire, and uh, something happened a number of years ago which uh, was food for reflection for me. I learned a lot from um, the Flying Walendas, unfortunately due to their misfortune. uh, The father who originated the act once said, Real life is only when I'm on the high wire. All the rest is just sitting around and waiting. That in itself is something to reflect on. But then some years later, uh, I don't know if any of you saw it, I was watching TV, this was quite a few years ago, and they they were being filmed, Uh, he was, uh, from somewhere in Latin America. Uh, and it was a tremendous wind was going on, and he was advised not to, uh, to walk the high wire. That it was too powerful, the wind was too powerful. And he didn't take their advice. So he walked the high wire and was blown to his death. Um, what does that have to do with taking care of your room, cleaning up your room, accepting whatever yogi job you're given? smilingly Uh, what I the reflection that came out of that for me some years ago and uh, from time to time it appears I haven't thought of it in many years is it's a a view of life where uh, particular activities are what is real for us and the rest is sort of uh, killing time biding our time sitting around and waiting for the real thing, which is walking on the high wire. Um, this particular person, one way of interpreting what, these events was that that perspective was so powerful, uh, so much attachment to that one activity as being the real thing, that uh, it even obscured his judgment and he was blown to his death. Dharma practice, when we come to a place like IMS, um, has some pitfalls as well. Perhaps we would paraphrase it that, on uh, a retreat anyway, real life is just when we're sitting. All the rest is just, I don't know, dawdling around until it gets it's time for sitting or maybe walking for a few. And that is uh, very different from what I believe the Buddha had in mind. Uh, We'll come back to this, and perhaps it will become clear to you, but I I want to start with some concrete examples. Um, On this and the previous retreat, uh, actually two or three retreats, uh, two prior to this one, uh, what happened was... I had came up to one ret- on one retreat somewhat earlier than I usually do, and I ran into some old friends who were doing the retreat, and they had come up many hours before the retreat. And so I asked them why they'd come up so early, and they said, well, to get a good yogi job. And that affected me. Uh, I guess, not I guess, I know, the policy is that if you get up early enough, you can get a job that's white collar. <laughs> Uh, and brief. Maybe just dust a couple of books somewhere, and then you can, you're off. Where's if you come later, you may wind up in a toilet, or you may wind up uh, in a hot pot room, or cleaning dishes, or who knows what. It's all, of course, relative to what your likes and dislikes are. At any rate... uh, what I felt was that it's not that I innovated because uh, what I did was simply switch to the way in which I was trained and which is really commonplace. It's not unusual uh, throughout Asia in monastic life at any rate, uh, which is you come to a place, you come to a monastery and you're given a job. Uh, And very often the job will be what you need, not what you want. And uh, that happened to me the first time I landed in Japan. And uh, my own teacher uh, took me there. I was going to be there for a number of years, for a year. And then he took me to a, a monastery, introduced me to the teacher, the master in charge. They were friends. And I couldn't understand Japanese, but I could understand the names of colleges that I had taught at that he was telling him about. And then he left. My teacher left. Dumped me there in the Zendo. Uh, And then uh, there was some laughter among the monks and I was cleaning toilets. (laughs) College professor? Very good. Toilets. I was a college professor. Um, Not that I loved it and not that I expect that uh, you're going to From here on in, just can't wait to come up to IMS because maybe you'll be fortunate enough to get toilets or the pots uh, so that you can really learn, really dig out some of your deep-seated conditioning of likes and dislikes, which is what brought you here. That's part of why we're suffering so much. Do you want to fall off that high wire? For God's sakes. Okay, so no one likes to get a job that they don't want, including me. Uh, and during this retreat there, from what I gather, four or five people were uh, rather disturbed and bothered by the jobs that they were given. It's, you know, it's just, you come, and what, unless there's a medical reason, whatever is next, that's the job you get. Um, and I think probably there are more who didn't say anything. And I know from the past that's usually true. And I f- feel a little bit of an explanation is due to you. That it isn't uh, an attempt to be cruel or to make your life miserable. Uh, It's actually just part of why we're here, which is to learn. It's not a health spa. Actually some years ago, a a Russian woman wandered in from the old uh, Soviet Union. I saw her, a woman wandering around lost on the first day and a half, looking and finally I went up to her and uh, said, what's the problem? She said, I don't understand what those people are doing in the hall. She had never seen any meditation said, I like the vegetarian food, and I like the woods, and I like the treatment here. People are so friendly, but no one talks. And I said, well, where do you think you are? I said, isn't this a health spa? Her name was Olga. Uh, This is not a health spa. The food is delicious. The, health, the air is better than Cambridge and the woods are beautiful and we are treated very nicely here. Except maybe in terms of jobs. Um, this is a place to die. Did you know that? It's a place to come to die. That's what the meditation hall is. It's to die to the ego. It's to die to that self-centered quality uh, that is causing so much suffering for us and for anyone else in our life. Okay, So you take something like a job or your room... Why blow that up? And I'm not saying that is the most important thing, uh, but it's an opportunity to learn. Uh, and what in, in Asia, the way it was done is actually, if you have more time, there's even better way of doing it, is you rotate through jobs. So that for example, when I was at this particular uh, Zen monastery, uh, I was cleaning toilets for some time, and that was changed uh, So I've forgotten a few of them, but finally then I was cleaning the meditation hall. I loved that. I didn't really like cleaning toilets, but you practice with it. You see what it brings up: revulsion, uh, annoyance, uh, pride. Who knows what? Whatever it does for you, and it starts to go away. It's, when you look at it, it's a concept: cleaning toilets. By the way, if you look at read the latest Tricycle, there's apparently a Japanese group. That's their practice. They just go around on their own time, free time, when they have. Uh, Vacation or something and they just (laughs) No, it's it's quite serious the whole article on it photographs and everything and I was impressed (laughs) And they just clean toilets for elderly people institutions uh, Public places whoever will have them. They just clean up and they're spotless. They really clean those toilets and it's a spiritual practice for them Um. So the explanation is uh, that by doing this, after all, for the most part, it's about a half an hour a day, whatever the job is, if the luck of the draw is not so good, and uh, it brings up resentment that you're sweating away and somebody else is walking the loop because they just finished their job in two seconds. Good. It's not that we're not trying to breed resentment, but uh, first of all, the work here has to get done, and, the main work here is flushing out self-centeredness, learning how to see and understand it, and uh, take the power out of it so that we suffer less and less. And so that's, this, that's the, the only reason for it. In circulating through jobs, um, you also learn non-attachment in, in many ways. First of all, I didn't like toilets, but I learned it was fine. It was not a problem. I did like cleaning the zendo, and then that was taken away. And after a while, you learn it's—you learn the, um, the metaphor for, I would say, life, but also certainly our retreat, which is just a slice of life, no matter what we call it. We're alive here. This is a piece of life. Uh, is you fully exhale something when you're done with it so that you can then inhale what's next. So when your time is over at doing something... Uh, let it go, breathe it out, and then the lungs have room for fresh air, for the next activity, whatever that is. And so if we could do it, uh, even better would be as if we could rotate through and we could all have opportunities to do different jobs, some of which we love, some of which we hate, some of which, most of which would be neither, you know, just in, in between. And a certain freedom comes out of that. You start to uh, see uh, your reactive tendencies, you start to see what you're holding on to, If you're willing to inquire and investigate, you start to see what uh, the resistance is about, what resentment is about, what is it we're protecting, etc. So that's part of it. Let me put that in a a larger context in terms of a view of practice. I personally do not want to wind up like the Flying Melendes. I don't know about you. Practice can wind up being like that if you fixate on the formal sitting or all formal practice or even retreats and think that that's practice. Often in retreats, in interviews, people come up and say, I haven't had much time to practice this week. They mean they haven't had much time to do sitting practice. It's a misunderstanding. And the equation is that sitting is the real thing. Now, as extraordinary as it is, and those of you who have been practicing for a while, you know that we don't come here and uh, give up so many of our comforts because we're just stupid or masochistic. Uh, There's a good reason for the hard work that we do here. And it's not always pleasant. It's not fun waiting on lines for the shower and uh, perhaps getting the wrong job or whatever it is. Um, If you're going to compare being here with your life back home, you're going to suffer. If you do, and you're willing to learn from it, then there's wisdom. And what I would like to uh, talk a bit about uh, this evening and a few other evenings is living wisdom. Wisdom should, is something that's to be lived. It's not, uh, Socrates said, the Buddha said, Jesus said, deep Nhat Hanh said, whoever. I mean, that's all useful too. But uh, living wisdom is It's not even the suttas, the the, uh, magnificent teachings of the Buddha. uh, Those have to be transferred, in essence, to our lives. And so wisdom has to be lived. We have to live it. And as far as I can tell, the only way you can live wisdom is in life. In fact, that's all there is, is life. So finally, the practice, whether you call it formal practice, informal practice, intensive practice, daily life practice, integrate daily life with, uh, etc. This is the language we have. I'm going into yogi land, I'm coming out of yogi land. Those are all fabrications of the mind. There's only one life, and daily life is all there is. That's all we ever have. Even on a retreat, there's lots of daily life here. It's all over the place. Now I know we don't come up here to have somebody tell us, um, watch how you unpack and lay out your stuff in your room and then be mindful of how you do that. We've had enough of that growing up. We come up here to do this? Of course, me too. But have you noticed that we do a lot of other things as well? Well, what is that? Is that just sitting around and waiting for the real thing when we come into the hall? Now, if that is, then what happens when we go back? When we go back to wherever you've come from? We have a practice that is skewed. And I don't think that that's correct practice, personally. What we need is a seamless practice, uh, where sitting is precious, of course, an intensive practice, opportunities to come to places like this and to have the protection of silence and uh, all that... Uh, makes this a unique thing for us to do. When we're here to do it, of course, 100%, give ourselves over to it. Then when we go home, exhale IMS. Now, this kind of talk usually happens at the end of a retreat, so why am I doing it on the first day? I think you'll see why in a moment. Because you can uh, develop attitudes on a retreat that uh, facilitate your whole life, or or living your whole life, or practicing uh, living wisdom in your whole life, and you can develop attitudes which are uh, in a subtle way dysfunctional, that set you up to get hurt, or to uh, create a fragmented existence. And then you're always trying to integrate this with that. If we do the practice with the right attitude, there's nothing to integrate. Because we're not cutting life up into these pieces that are uh, so sealed off from each other and then we have to stitch them back together again. We don't do that in the first place. So if the attitude is to wholeheartedly give yourself over to what life asks of you in a given moment, if it's sitting in the hall, then of course, then it, let's really do our sitting practice. And then when we leave the hall and we go to whatever is next, let go of the sitting posture and all that that, that can yield and surrender to what else, what's next, inhale what's next. And so it goes. So when the time comes to leave here, the training you would get uh, trans- transfers over much more nicely to the life that awaits you, rather than seeing these as, so like one is a battlefield, which we've just crawled out of, and we've finally made it here, and this is the battalion hospital in the war zone. And uh, some of us get to live here all the time, but most of us don't. You have to go back into combat. And uh, and our job is to kind of help you basically fix yourself up a little bit, and then at some point the retreat will end, and then you're back out there. Uh, we had a, at Cambridge some years ago a fellow very devoted practitioner who had done... <coughs> At that point, eight or nine three-month retreats and all kinds of A very sincere practitioner. And he lived at the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. And everything was fine. Nice guy. Uh, and I was the resident teacher. And suddenly there was a bit of an aroma coming out of his room. I you know, thought it was just that day. Maybe he was eating something. And it didn't go away. And finally, one day I just opened the door. It was a pigsty. Just everything thrown up, chaotic, uh, clothes all over the place. Uh, And I had to talk to him. And his attitude was, that was none of my business. What he did in the meditation hall was the practice, the sitting and the walking. What he did in his own room was his business. And he said he'd been doing that for years at different meditation centers. Um, I don't think so. I think that is practice. to, it's not to be a disciplinarian, it's, to, it's wrong understanding. Uh, and if you really are sincere about trying to uh, learn what Dharma is, and you see something as glaring as that, it should have been taken care of by his parents, obviously, but it wasn't. Uh, that is something going on in the person's life. And so it came to, look, either you decide to uh, use your room as a practice, or you have to move out. And fortunately, he was willing to. And it's, that's why I'm suggesting you take a look at your room, see how you do it. Uh, no one's going to check on you. Uh, we don't have any cameras, hidden cameras, or uh, people wired or anything like that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> It's your life. Even those of you who, let's say, you've subverted the system, and you've gotten out of some job, and you feel, good, I don't have to do that job. You think it, do you think I care? It's your life. In other words, you have uh, just nine days here, uh, a rare opportunity to really uh, learn in a very intense way, in a very rich way. Uh, Learning isn't just getting peaceful. Just breathe in, in, out, in, out, in, out, get peaceful, and then try to get back to that place as much as you can and avoid, avoid as much in life that will wreck that peace as you can. The training of Vipassana meditation is designed, this is not something I've made up, It's designed to help us face the challenges of life, the tasks of life, the situations of life, as well as the deepest project that there is, at least from the point of view of the Buddhist teaching, which is liberation, which is coming to the unconditioned. Uh, They're not separate from each other, and if you practice in a certain way, they're identical. There's no difference whatsoever. So I hope that this encourages you to, whatever your job is, um, and it's not only that, it's getting dressed, it's uh, walking from here to there, it's waiting on lines, it's all that um, sitting around waiting. The Chinese have a, a saying that I've always found very helpful. When you're doing something and you're divided, they call that killing life. This is in... Chinese Buddhism. Uh, And when you're wholehearted in what you're doing, they call that giving life to life. Uh, If you're doing your job, and you could even do it perfectly from an external point of view, and half of you is already somewhere else, you're killing life. That's not what we're here to do. So what I'm trying to suggest is that If we understand that even a retreat has a daily life, and we uh, gently, but with determination, uh, we'll fall asleep more than we'll be awake. We're human. We're all like that. But this is something that can be learned. But the only way you you can learn it is you have to move in that direction. It does take a certain amount of effort. And falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up, so please view it that way. When you're in the hall and some of you perhaps want to sit a lot, great. While you're here, is, of course, is a wonderful time to do this. But when you're not, uh, see if you can follow your mind. See if, that, uh, if you lack conviction that everything that's other than sitting, the conviction would be that it's equally spiritual practice or Dharma practice. I think we don't have that conviction. That's been my observation over the years. Even those of us, like myself, who put out the words, we finally, what we really value is the sitting. And how could we not? Wherever we look, there's the Buddha sitting. He's never uh, cleaning a toilet. <laughs> he had the monks do that. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what went on. Anyway, he deserved tonight after all he had done. Um, and to help us with this, I'd like to extend the, the significance of breath awareness uh, As the retreat unfolds, you'll see that uh, anapanasati, that's one of the main methods we'll be using here, uh, mindfulness with breathing, is not just to get calm, although that's, of course, an important aspect of it, and it can be used in daily life. Um, Let me read you an exchange, which is very bland, unassuming, but I... I've read this many, many times, and I find it um, very helpful. This comes from uh, Webu Sayadaw, a Burmese Vipassana teacher. And it's an exchange between the Sayadaw, which means teacher, and uh, yogis. Sayadaw. Don't all of you breathe in and out? Yogi, we do breathe, sir. They were more polite than, than we are, yeah. yeah. Sayadur, when do you start breathing in and out? When we were when we are born, sir. Do you breathe in and out when you sit upright? Yes, sir. When you are walking? We do breathe in and out then also, sir. Do you breathe when you're eating, drinking, and working to make a living? Yes, sir. Do you breathe when you go to sleep? Yes, sir. Sayadaw. Are there times when you are so busy that you have to say sorry? I have no time to breathe now. I'm too busy. (laughs) Yogi, there isn't anybody who can live without breathing, sir. Um, Anapanasati is, uh, to me, the the brilliance of the Buddha is taking advantage of such an extraordinarily ordinary activity as breathing. Of course, Indian culture understood that breathing is not insignificant, to put it mildly. But at any rate, um, what this is getting at is that now we're outside of the hall. And if you recall, one way to do the walking meditation, and I'll suggest another way later on in the retreat, is to include the breathing with the walking. Uh, and you are encouraged to follow the breath, let's say, while waiting online, and it can be in the background as you're reading. Uh, the truth is, you can turn to it throughout the day. And that will help keep you in the present moment. Uh, So it's one ally, it's a friend that you can have uh, to actually uh, enable you to manifest wisdom in actual living because it helps you stay awake. Uh, The more you do it, the more natural this becomes, the more vivid the breathing becomes, and the more of a resource it is for you. If you don't do it, it's not going to get strong enough to make that much difference. So, for example, encouraging you to uh, be with the breath more often than just during the sitting, but during the walking, etc. I don't mean that you can't miss a breath. It's just uh, use it a lot. And there'll be tremendous individual differences. Some of you uh, will benefit a lot from using the breath so often. Some of you uh, may not want to use it much at all. And that's fine. The main thing is, of course, is the wakefulness, is, is to stay awake. Uh, the breath is one simple method tried and true that can be that has been used to help us stay awake and you can uh, more and more by turning it turning to it throughout the day and learning how to do that skillfully uh, you'll have something that when you go home it will follow you because that's one of the beauties of the breath it's portable And for those of you who are strongly I'm not a Buddhist, There's no, is is breathing Buddhist? I mean, it's just human. So it's a a method that has no cultural content like a koan or a mantra. Uh, In that sense, it's innocuous, it's just neutral. So I would encourage you little by little and those of you who have never done this, uh, give it a try. You may find that it's helpful. Some of you will find that it isn't all that helpful, but the only way you can find that out is you have to uh, put it into action Um. Mindfulness, finally, is not a method or a technique, it uh, blossoms, it ripens into a way of living. It's a way of living consciously rather than half asleep. Uh, It's a way of being more alive. It's a way of being more intimate with yourself and with everything else that uh, we call life. The breath can help you with that. And so I would encourage you to uh, experiment, see if uh, mindful breathing uh, is useful for you outside of the hall, and begin to look at the ordinary situations that make up the day. And it's not that you should have now a new ideal, I'm going to love washing the dishes, if that's what you got, or I'm going to just love doing toilets. That would be an impersonation. Uh, it's inauthentic, and it, it's just, it won't go anywhere. You'll get exhausted. And your cheek muscles get all tired from the smiling. It's rather, be honest with yourself as you do it. Let's say uh, you have a job and it isn't so much to your liking. Or even the ones that are, you know, we're not all there even for those jobs. Okay, you start to do it, whatever it is, scrubbing or whatever, and then, uh, and paying attention. It's not so much uh, by brute force, forcing yourself to uh, scrub, as much as sensitive and delicate, noticing how the mind is inattentive, how the mind separates itself from the task, typically by thinking, so that. You might get the toilet, it might be spotless, or the pots might be spotless. And yet, you were barely there. Uh, And begin to see that. As you begin to see how you separate yourself, in Dharma language, you're not intimate with what's happening. And practice, another way of looking at practice, is is learning how to be intimate with life, with all things in life. Of course, starting with ourselves. So, um, little by little... Uh, An authentic ability to uh, behave, to involve yourself wholeheartedly in an activity can grow out of seeing your inability to do it. So no one's asking anyone to be perfect here. Uh, We start exactly where we are. What is asked of all of us is, are we willing to learn and to change? Okay, can we have a, a moment's silence, please? beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. This talk was given by Larry Rosenberg at Insight Meditation Society on July 11, 1994. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.